Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 119 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim and you know just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, inshallah, we will uh, conclude uh, our, you know, death series uh, that we started here on the podcast, and we'll get into the final, you know, stages of that. Uh, and it's only a matter of, it's literally, inshallah, a couple of episodes left to the season finale, and we're going to take uh, a little bit of a break, and then inshallah, we will resume next uh, year uh, with, you know, our topics and it's it's all technically what we will how we will end the season will you know let lead right straight to the season premiere next next season inshallah so yeah that is that is that so let's get right into you know uh the ending or the the the, the conclusion of the death series so uh, we talked last time about you know uh that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, after he meets the soul whether greeting it or you know basically you know, uh, giving it the the bad news of of punishment, right? We said there will be wicked souls, there will be righteous souls, and wh whatever is in between varies, right? So not all wicked souls will be treated the same. There are ones that are worse than others, and same thing for the righteous. There are like elite of the righteous, and there are like okay somehow righteous, and there is like you know whatever is in between. Allah is fair, and Allah would treat every soul according to you know the level of of iman or the level of wickedness that they you know they lived by or they had. So uh, then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and that's how we uh, I believe ended the last episode. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will send back those souls into their bodies after they are buried, and once the souls are back to those to their bodies, the the something called the trial of the grave will start. Again, this is something that the Prophet ﷺ literally uh, talked to us a lot about. It's mentioned in the Quran, mentioned everywhere, the trial of the grave, fitnatul qabr. But I want to address a few things before we get into that, you know, trial of the grave. Uh, there are, th there's actually one or some misconceptions about when the, the, the body, the deceased is being carried, right? So after they wash the body, right? So there's something called ghusl. So every Muslim should have their body washed by uh, the closest uh, family member to them uh, from the same gender, of course. Uh, and like, for example, a father by his son or his brother, if the son is not available and all these things and the mother by her daughter or, you know, sister and all these things, as long as they know how to do ghusl. And it's not that difficult, you know, to learn how to do it. It's actually on YouTube, they have videos of that. So ghusl is basically washing the deceased's body to prepare them for, you know, the burial. And uh, there are there there is a big misconception. There's there is some sort of a truth uh, within that, which is 
there is there are people who are saying out there that you know you could tell from certain things about the deceased that uh, they are good people or bad people are they are going to be punished or they're going to be rewarded right one of the things uh, that are basically completely fabricated uh, and I, the reason why it could be true but the reason why i'm saying it's fabricated because there's no uh, we don't have it said or, or being told to us from any of the authentic sources like Quran, Sunnah, or even the consensus of the scholars, which is they say that when you know a body, when when the people are carrying the deceased in, in the coffin or the casket, whatever you want to call it, and then uh, the, the, it's heavy, it's heavier than usual. They say that means this person is not a good person, and they're afraid to meet Allah or they're afraid to start the trial of the grave. They're afraid to be buried, and that's why the body is, is is heavy on purpose. So people will take longer uh, in terms of carrying it to the to the graveyard. And then the opposite: if the body is super light or lighter than usual, that means the body can't wait to get to you know the the, the, the to get to the graveyard to be buried because it knows that okay I, i'm good you know uh, uh, and uh, you know i'm ready for the trial of the grave now the reason why i say this is fabricated is because again there's no reference to it in any of our authentic sources this is just people's opinions and because this is related to the unseen we can't say that this is true it might be allahu alam allah knows best but we do not know that this is true because there is no reference to this in any way shape or form so that is on the fabricated side so if somebody's is, is heavier than usual or, or lighter than usual that really doesn't indicate whether they're good people or not the other thing is um and this is actually something that the scholars have agreed um on which is during the ghusl or when you see the deceased after they, they they're dead after the soul left the body Sometimes you see people with brightened face and it's it's really brighter than usual. Right? It's brighter than usual. And you'll see people with really darkened or like pale faces than usual again. And the scholars actually have said and there's multiple actually big scholars that agreed on that. They say this could be an indication and there is a reference to that that this soul is is or this person is you know, like is being told that they are being given glad tidings of like Jannah, of paradise. And the opposite, if somebody is, you know, has a darkened face um, or, or like a pale face, they are being told or they got the bad news that they will go to hellfire. Now, this is based on what we discussed in the last episode, which is this. When uh, when someone, uh, when a soul is righteous, remember, and we said even the righteous soul will be a little bit afraid to leave the body. The angels, remember, we said the angels come to it and then they start talking to it and telling it, hey, don't worry, you'll be fine, you're going to go to Jannah, and here's your place in Jannah. And once the soul sees, now the deceased is still not dead yet because the soul is still in the body. It's like literally the final moments of, you know, of death. Once the, the, the soul sees the, 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 its place in Jannah, now that means the deceased also knows that they are going to Jannah, their face brightens because of the good news. And the opposite, you know, if the soul is wicked and they're being told, you get like they're being beaten out of the body first and then being told this is your place in hellfire because you were wicked all of your life and whatever, then the soul gets darkened. I mean, the fa their faces get you know darkened or like pale because of the bad news that they just received. But the heavy body, light body weight, that no, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. 
So that is, I just wanted to address these things because I know there's a lot of misconceptions out there about, you know, would the deceased look a, a certain way? That means they're going to hellfire. So at the end of the day, it's irrelevant. Uh, but we should just do, all of us should do our best to have those brightened faces or to earn our place in, in Jannah. And wallahi, no matter what we do, just to let you know, the Prophet told us this. We are not, we don't earn Jannah. Jannah is not like, we try our best to earn Jannah, but not, none of us will deserve Jannah, even the the elite of the righteous. The Prophet even said himself, can you imagine? Himself, he does not deserve Jannah. He will only enter Jannah by the mercy of Allah. And some might say, well, really? Even the Prophet ﷺ? Yes, because guess what? Who gave the Prophet ﷺ the ability, the physical, the mental ability to become the most righteous human being on earth? Allah. Who makes you able to or gives you the, the ability to pray five times a day? Allah gives you all of these things. Now, your choice is how to use those abilities, whether to do good with them. Because some people might say, well, does that mean we're not, we don't have the freedom of choice? No, no, no. Allah is giving you the ability to do physically the acts of worship and to mentally, you know, accept Allah and accept his messenger and do all these things. Some people, Allah gives that to every single human being, by the way. With some exceptions, which are tests and all, all these things, right? But we're talking about those people who are healthy. Allah gives them the ability, gives them the knowledge. Some people reject that knowledge. Some people take it. But who is the source? Who is giving you the ability to do this? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So at the end of the day, you being righteous is because of the blessings of the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm talking to you right here, right now. Not because I'm righteous. No. It's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me with the ability to share my knowledge with you. I can't be like, yeah, because of this, I deserve to go to Jannah. No, no one deserves to go to Jannah. If we, if you want to, you know, factor in all of the, you know, all of the factors and all of the things, you'll find that your contribution is just accepted what Allah gave you. And, you know, you rolled with it. You uh, believed and you did. I'm not diminishing the believers or like, don't, don't think that I'm saying, well, I'm not belittling. Uh, what we do as Muslims. No, no, no. I'm just saying that what we do as Muslims, we would not be able to do unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped us out. We had, alhamdulillah, for those of us who are practicing Islam, alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us with hearts that are accepting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the truth of the message of Islam. This is a blessing coming from Allah. You know, because other people reject it completely. So what I'm trying to say is, you don't like you you're passing the test of life does not give you the right to go to jannah you only go to the jannah and this is not my words by the way this is what the prophet said in an authentic hadith that none of us will enter jannah by their deeds even the most righteous of us even myself he was talking about himself because one of the companions says even you o prophet of allah and the prophet said yes even me that includes me we will enter jannah not because of our deeds, but because of the mercy of Allah. Now, our deeds factor in massively. Now, once the souls get sent to the bodies, we are resurrected. Now, before we are resurrected, once our souls get back into you know our bodies, the last thing, and we mentioned this before, the last thing we hear is what the footsteps of our loved ones, our family members leaving the graveyard. And that is a huge indication that we're always going to be alone when it comes to our deeds. Always, when you commit sins in the name of other people, you still committed that sin. 
yes, they will also be sinful for if they did that on purpose, if they led you to do these, you know, sins or bad acts or whatever, they will be sinful as well. However, your share of sin will always be reserved. You can't dump it on, you know, like, oh, uh, I did this for the sake of my children. I stole because of my children and they needed money. No, you will be held accountable. You know, uh, when you do any any bad deeds for the sake of family members or loved ones, yeah, that doesn't exempt you from being punished for those bad deeds, just to let you know. So, and this is, again, it shows you that you will only face your actions alone, even on the day of judgment. It's just you and Allah. Your father, your mother, your siblings won't come and be like, yeah, he did this for us. Can you please cut him some slack? No, it doesn't work like that. So just just be aware of, of your actions and don't do major sins or any sins for the sake of other people. Now, once we are resurrected, the way we are resurrected, we won't be resurrected in this life. Just to let you know, we don't. We are not resurrected in this dimension, because guess what? If if it is, if you bury someone and you go back a couple of you know minutes later and you try to dig, they'll still be dead, and it will still be to you a, a body without a soul, just you know a dead body. However, during that time, Allah transfers the soul and the body together. Again, don't ask how it works. The unseen. And, and, and the hereafter works do not follow the laws, our laws of, you know, physics or biology or a lot. Basically, your body will still be in this life. However, your soul and body together will be transferred into another dimension, which is the majority of the scholars say al-barzakh, which we talked about. And you will sit, you will literally sit in your grave. So you will sit still. You know, once the body, uh, once the soul gets, uh, you know, gets uh, the body back when Allah sends it back, then you sit uh, and you are resurrected and you are wakened basically by two angels. Now, what I'm about to tell you will happen to every single human being. There are exceptions that we will talk about in a second. But now, for now, this will happen to every single human being, Muslim and non-Muslim, except for a few exceptions that we will mention after the trial, after, after we talk about the trial. Two angels will come to you by the names of Munkar and Nakir. And the Prophet actually described them uh, for us, and they are terrifying looking. The Prophet said they will look terrifying. They are bluish, blackish, their color, and their eyes will be very scary, and they will have the most intimidating, terrifying attitude. And that goes, by the way, that goes for the believer and the disbeliever. So don't think because you're a believer, you're gonna they're gonna be friendly and hey man, what's up? And you know, uh, 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 glad tidings to you. You're good. You did great. No, that is the trial of the grave. No one will skip it, and everybody will be treated the same. However, you passing the trial will be based on your faith. Again, the angels will intimidate everyone, except like I said, there are a few exceptions that we will talk about. So the majority of mankind will be treated the same, okay? The majority of mankind, even the most righteous human beings. Now, that doesn't include the trial of the grave and the punishment and all these things. Take the, the prophets and the messengers out of the equation. It doesn't apply on them, right? Actually, as a matter of fact, prophets and messengers' bodies do not decay, do not decompose. For those of you who didn't know, I think I mentioned this in the last season. When a prophet or a messenger is buried, earth does not 
eat their bodies. Earth eats our bodies. If you think about it, you know, with all the worms and all these things, and our bodies, all of all of mankind, our bodies decompose. Earth eats our body. However, prophets and messengers, their bodies, can you imagine this? Up until today and until the day of judgment, their bodies do not decompose. This is an authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ. Now, the angels will come to you. They will be terrifying looking. And that is that is the test. They will ask you a few questions and it will be very intimidating. Three questions in, in specific. And they won't ask you those three questions in any friendly way. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. Okay? They will ask you the first question, who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? That's how, you know, it will be harsh. The second question, what is your religion? Okay. The third question, what can you say about the prophet who was sent to you? That's it. That is the trial. That is the trial. Those three questions. That's it. Nothing else. Will, you, you won't be asked any more questions. That's it. Three simple questions, right? So why is it so difficult? Why are we making a big deal out of this trial when it's just three questions? Well, it won't be an easy answer. All of you right now, mashallah, or most of you at least, know the answers to these questions, except for the third question, and I'm going to talk about that. But every you, you get a five-year-old Muslim, who's your Lord? Allah. What is your religion? Islam. What can you tell about the Prophet ﷺ? Okay, they can say uh, he's our prophet. He he brought us, you know, the Quran. He was sent by Allah. He's the final messenger and all these things. You think it, this, this is very simple. As a matter of fact, it's not. Because the way you will answer will be according to what you did with that knowledge. Again, right now, we possess that knowledge. We, we know who is Allah, who is our Lord. We know that it's Allah. We know what is our religion. Islam. We know certain things about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But that's how that's not how we will answer those questions. We will answer those questions in regards of how or what we did with that knowledge. For example, the first question, who is your Lord? If you did not live your life worshiping Allah and trying your best to worship him the right way, fearing Allah in all the right ways. You know, knowing that Allah is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing. If you did not basically care about Allah that much, if you didn't put Allah first, you won't be able to answer. Literally, you won't be able to say anything. You will stutter. You will be lost. You, you, you'll think you had a memory loss. Like, I, I remember this, and, and I don't, I just, I don't remember it right now, but I used to remember who, who is my Lord. Can you imagine? That basic, simple knowledge for a Muslim. Same thing for the religion. If you did not live your life as a Muslim, if you were embarrassed of being a Muslim, if you try to hide your identity as a Muslim, if you try to blend in with the non-Muslim society just to cover up the fact that you're a Muslim, guess what? You won't be able to answer the second question. Third question. And that's unfortunately the reality of today's uh, Muslims, the majority of the Muslims uh, don't know who the Prophet ﷺ is. They know he is the Prophet of Allah. They know he's our beloved Prophet, but that's about it. How did he receive the message? 
When did he die? How old was he when he received the message? How old was he when he passed away? Many Muslims don't know how to answer these questions. And there is actually even a worse group who have been criticizing the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Unfortunately, Muslims, minority, but they're still out there. Oh, he had multiple wives. That's weird and, 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 and unfair. Barbaric. We're talking about, you know, progressive Muslims or some Muslims, you know. That is a sad reality that even in today's world, like we're talking about, okay, everyone knows who Allah is. Everyone knows that Islam is our religion. But guess what? Not a lot of people know who the Prophet ﷺ was and who he is in terms of status until now until the Day of Judgment. No one knows. So if you didn't even know this in this life, how are you going to answer this in the afterlife? If you didn't even, because like we said, the, the way you will answer these questions is, is basically based on how you uh, acted upon the knowledge or, or the answer of these questions. So if you lived your life knowing that the Prophet is the best of mankind, how he suffered, how, how much he sacrificed to deliver to us the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will live by the sunnah. You're going to appreciate him. You're going to defend him. You're going to want to do certain things out of love, pure love for the Prophet You know, the Prophet said something very interesting in an authentic hadith. You will not reach uh, the full belief, like full faith, full iman, unless I am beloved, more beloved to you than your parents, than your family, than yourself. And more beloved to you than anybody else. Now ask yourself this. Do you love the Prophet ﷺ more than anything in the world? Think about it. Because he's saying, the Prophet ﷺ is saying this. You will not reach your full potential of being a believer, basically. Unless you love me more than you love everyone you know, including yourself. And uh, Alhamdulillah, I'm telling you right now, because of how much I learned about the Prophet ﷺ and his sacrifice, I can tell you with the utmost certainty I love the Prophet ﷺ more than anyone in this existence. More than any other human being. That includes my immediate family. Myself. Because I know his worth. I know how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him. I know how much he sacrificed. How much of a pure of a person. He was the perfect human being. A human being. Still a human being. Not a divine in any way, shape or form. But he was the best of mankind. So... If we can't answer that question in this life, how are we going to answer it in the hereafter? Because that's how we, again, how we answer those questions in the hereafter will be based on how we lived our lives in this world, in this life. Now, let's divide the answers into two categories like we did with the process of death. Righteous and wicked. And then again, the levels between vary. So let's start with the righteous. How, how will the righteous answer? The Prophet, this is actually a very long hadith, but the Prophet who described everything. Like from the, beginning, the moment of death up until, you know, the barzakh life and how the trial will go and all these things. So let's talk about, uh, you know, that part. Now, uh, for the righteous, the, 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 here are the answers. The righteous will say, Allah is my Lord, answering the first question. The angels will try to actually intimidate the righteous. Again, like I said, their job is to intimidate. This is their job, to intimidate you, to make you fear, to distract you from being able to answer, to make you stutter, to make you just fear them and not focus on the answer. And Allah, look at this. 
will help the righteous. Keep them focused. Keep them firm. Allah. Allah will keep you. He will give you thabat, firmness, steadfastness. That is now the privilege that a believer will have. So the believer won't, like, it's not like they won't go through this or they won't, like, the angels won't intimidate them. No, the angels will try to intimidate everyone. No one will skip that except for, like, I keep repeating that, the few exceptions that we'll talk about later. But every believer will be intimidated by them. The difference is Allah will keep you steadfast, will keep you firm answering these questions if you are a believer, if you are righteous. So then they will try to ask you the question again. Are you sure Allah is your Lord? Again, with an intimidating you know, voice and attitude, and you will say, yes, I am sure. And this is coming, this, this, this whole steadfastness is coming from Allah, not from anybody else, not from solely your deeds. Yes, your deeds have a big factor, you know, but Allah is helping you out. The second question, what is your religion? My religion is Islam. Are you sure my, your religion is Islam? Yes, I'm 100% positive. I lived all of my life proud of being a Muslim. You know, blessed of being a Muslim. Yes, it is Islam. That's how firm you will be in your answer, subhanAllah. Now, the third question, what do you know about the Prophet wasallam? Of course, if you are righteous, if you're a believer, then you know a lot about the Prophet wasallam. You will be able to answer. I know he is the last prophet and messenger to be sent to us. He was the best of mankind. He sacrificed for us and all these things. Then a voice will come. Now, the, the, the scholars have differed whether that voice is the voice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will come from the heavens or it's just uh, you know a voice of an angel. We don't know, but again, the deceased, you who is being you know on trial, will hear uh, that voice. And that voice will say this, he or she has spoken the truth. Give them clothings from Jannah and cushions also from Jannah to basically, you know, so you can rest on them. And show them, look at this, their place in Jannah. As soon as this happens, your grave will expand. It will be like a large room, imagine. As far, like, actually it's mentioned that uh, the, the the grave will expand about 70, uh, 70 by 70 cubits. Basically, it's um, in today's like measurements like in feet, it would be like 105 feet by 105 feet. So imagine, it's going to be very, mashallah, it's like a huge, huge room, like a suite, subhanAllah. And in it, there will be a portal. In it, there will be a portal that will open like a window to see your place in Jannah, subhanAllah. And you will smell the fragrance of Jannah. So again, for the righteous, once they, are pa they, they pass the trial, they, ask, they answer all the questions, their grave will expand. Like uh, the, the, the approximate, this is a hadith. The, the Prophet said 70 by 70 cubits. But then again, if you want to do it with feet, it's 105 feet by 105 feet. Uh, and basically a, a portal or a window will open that will basically show you your house in Jannah or houses in Jannah and you're going to receive a, and your grave will smell like Jannah which is, of course, you can't even comprehend the smell of Jannah, subhanAllah, in this life and you're going to just 
be laying there comfortably, now someone will actually come and approach you in that big room of yours now, that grave. They look really pleasant. Someone will look very pleasant. Wearing the best clothes, very clean clothes, smelling incredible. And they will come and tell you this. Be happy. This is your day. Abshir hadha yawmuk. The Prophet said. They will say that. But then you will say, okay, who are you? <laughs> How did you get in here, basically, right? What is this? Who's, I have someone else sharing my grave with me? And then he will respond, or it will respond, basically, and say, I am your good deeds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your good deeds manifest into a being and come to visit you in the grave. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. It's, this is incredible. This is incredible. And this is not a fairy tale. You know, fortunately for us, this is real. This will happen. Like we said, uh, once you die, all the supernatural things will start happening to you and you're going to see them. Allah stopped supernatural things from happening by the death of the Prophet And supernatural things will happen towards the end of time. And we'll talk about that when it comes to the signs of the Day of Judgment. But for you, once you die, everything supernatural will happen. Now, you are in a different dimension, right? So imagine your deeds will manifest into like a being coming to talk to you. And after that, the deceased will keep making dua to Allah to what? To bring in, to hasten the day of judgment. Oh Allah, bring in the day of judgment fast because now you already know your place. SubhanAllah. You can't wait to go to Jannah. Because all you can see, you cannot enter Jannah from that portal. That portal is just a see-only kind of thing. You can't cross to Jannah. But, yeah, you want to get into this. You, you're you're being teased, basically, with your place in Jannah, and now you want to go. So you're going to keep making dua. Oh, Allah, please, Allah, make the day of judgment come faster because I really want to go to my house in Jannah. I can't wait. So that is for the righteous, the believer. And again, all these will vary, just to let you know. Like the room size, the scholar said, the room size, and all these things will vary depending on the level of your faith, basically. Now, comes the wicked or the, 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 the disbelievers or the bad people. Again, the same questions will be asked. Who is your Lord? Now, even if you're a Muslim, but you are a terrible human being, you did not fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you did not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, guess what? You will stutter. You'll be like, uh, my Lord is, uh, I, I remember this. I used to remember this. I, my, my Lord, and you won't be able to answer. Some will be able to answer with difficulty. Severe difficulty. You'll be sweating because, again, you're being, in, now the intimidation of the angels, the scary looking angels, Munkar and Nakir, will affect you because you're not a believer. You're not a righteous person. And Allah's not helping you. That's why you're stuttering, you're finding the most, you're terrified from the inside. You're terrified. Some won't be able to even answer the question. And then they will move on to the next question. What is your religion? Uh, uh, and it all depends. Did you live your life as a Muslim? Were you ashamed of being a Muslim? All these things will factor in answering your question, just to let you know. Again, some will suffer answering. Some won't be able to answer at all. Third question. What can you say about the Prophet who was sent to you? For those who were making fun of the Prophet, for those who were criticizing 
the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi For those who thought they were better than the Prophet Sallallahu Yeah, you won't be able to enter any of that. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala won't help you because you don't deserve to be helped. You don't deserve the support coming from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. Then a voice, again, the same thing, but now it's happening, you know, on the bad side. Will say, that voice will call out. Again, we don't know who voice that is. It's not mentioned in the hadith. But uh, the Prophet said, uh, Like a voice will be, you know, will call that person from the heavens. We don't know who that voice is. And will say he or she lied. And the reason why, even if you can't answer, the reason why you will be told that you lied is because you know the answers all of your life. You just never worked with those answers. You never acted upon those answers. You didn't care. So that's why you lied. You know who is your Lord. Just you never cared. You know what is your religion. You just never cared. You know who is the Prophet ﷺ. And you should have known. You never cared. Uh, and then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or again the angel uh, we don't know who's talking here uh, will say give them the clothing and the cushions of hellfire and show them their place in hellfire and then your grave will shrink imagine the grave is already tiny it's barely fitting your body right and again this is all happening in the, another dimension in the barzakh this is not happening in real life but you're feeling it. Your body's feeling. You are feeling this. This is real. This is not a dream. This is 100% real. It's just happening in a different dimension. Then the, the, the grave will shrink until it will almost break your bones. Can you imagine? Like you're dead and your bones will be broken because of how tiny the grave has become. And then a portal will open. In that, imagine in this tiny place. And you will see your place in hellfire. It will be hot. So it's tiny, hot, and it will smell terrible. Terrible. And then, of course, you guys guessed it now. Someone will come to you in this little freaky, tiny place of yours. Looking terrifying. Clothed, dirty, smelling terrible. And you're going to say, who are you? They will say, we are your sins that you never repented from. We are your bad deeds. We are your wickedness. Be grieved because today is your day to pay the bill, basically. You are going to pay for all the bad deeds you've done. Today is your day. You're dead today. Because, because by the way, this will happen as soon as you die. This is not going to happen days or weeks after. This happens as soon as you're buried. Like we said. And then the deceased will keep making dua to Allah. Oh Allah, please do not bring the day of judgment because you already know now you're going to hellfire. What are you going to do? Oh Allah, please, oh Allah, I, I, I'm not ready. Please delay it, delay it, delay it. But of course, it's already been determined when the day of judgment is. We just don't know it yet. Now, this will all happen, like I said. And I, uh, some people also ask that question. What if I die, dr like if, if I die drowning in, in, in the ocean? Or if someone gets blown into pieces or someone dies in a car accident, like how are they going to go through all of this? You know, someone turned their bodies into ashes because of God knows what reason. You'll still, Allah will collect those ashes. Allah will collect that body into earth. And you, trust me, you will be, you will face this regardless. 
you will face this regardless. And there are exceptions. Let's talk about the exceptions here for a second. Now, the exceptions uh, that people won't basically uh, go through these trials, like so we have a group of people that won't go through that trial of the grave. The number one person that won't go through the trial, so all the stuff, the questioning, the angels, they will skip that. The number one on the list is the martyrs. If you are a martyr, a shaheed, basically, someone who dies for the sake of Allah, that is the, 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 the highest level of martyrs, by the way. The, arc, the martyrs actually, there's multiple categories. We'll talk about that in a second. But like the, the, the main martyr, the, the main definition of a martyr is someone who dies in a battlefield. A battlefield in a declared war, fighting for the sake of Allah or defending the country. That is the highest or the most accurate definition of a martyr. However, there are other definitions. People could die in different ways and they'd be, still be considered as martyrs. But this level, the highest level of a martyr is the one who dies in a battlefield. Declared war. Not go and blow yourself up with innocent civilians. No, no, no. Fighting combatants, fight, fighting soldiers, and dying in a battlefield, that is a martyr. Now, uh, so the Prophet saying told us actually there are other people who could be considered as martyrs. I think seven or eight in specific. Let's talk about that. Uh, number one, uh, so again, the main, the highest level of martyrdom or the martyr is the one who dies in a battlefield fighting for the sake of Allah, fighting, to, of course, a Muslim should be, it has to be a Muslim, uh, or fighting for, you know, the sake of their defending their country. But there are other people who still could be considered as martyrs. Number one, the person who dies with a stomach disease, a Muslim who dies with a stomach disease is considered to be a martyr. Uh, scholars have said maybe any internal disease, like internal bleeding or anything like that, because of how much they suffer, they are considered to be martyrs. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, a woman who dies while she's pregnant, she's considered to be a martyr. Number three, dying, uh, drowning. If you if you die drowning, like you die by drowning, basically, you are considered to be a martyr. Uh, dying with fire. If you die and your body is burnt, basically. You are considered to be a martyr. Uh, dying under wreckage. So if, if you're in a building and that building collapsed, then because of that, you, you died under that collapse or that wreckage, you are a martyr. Uh, number six, stabbed to death. If somebody gets stabbed to death and they die because of being stabbed, they are martyrs. And the last one, uh, number seven, is dying with pleurisy. So basically, for those of you who do not know, pleurisy is a disease that basically, if you die from pleurisy, which is a, a, a severe pain in your chest or your lungs when breathing, and it's very almost unbearable, you know, when you every time you breathe, you just, you're just in severe pain. And, you know, if, if you look it up online, it's being caused by pneumonia and certain things like that. So if you die with that, you're also uh, a martyr. So the Prophet told us, uh, you know, mentioned seven types of martyrs beside the main one, which is the highest level, which is dying in a battlefield. Again, the Prophet said, So the Prophet said, literally what I just told you, martyrs are seven except for, you know, or addition to dying in the sake of Allah. Al-mat'oon shaheed, the Prophet is saying, the one who gets stabbed to death is shaheed. Now, we're doing it chronologically based on the hadith. Wal-ghariqu shaheed. And the one who dies, uh, you know, with drowning is shaheed. shaheed, the one who dies with pleurisy. shaheed, the one who dies with uh, stomach pain. You know, basically the woman who is dying while she's pregnant is shaheed. The one who dies under wreckage 
is uh, shaheed. Well, uh, harqi shaheed. Well, the one who dies, uh, you know, with fire, basically you die from, you know, burning. Uh, basically, uh, you are also shaheed. So that is these are the seven, like we mentioned. They are considered to be martyrs, and they shall skip the trial of the grave. Now, here's something very interesting about a martyr. Martyrs actually can. Uh, and we're going to get to that when we get to the deep into the day of judgment. Uh, uh, but they can in, intercede on behalf of 70 of their family members and their uh, friends or loved ones. But only the ones who die in a battlefield. So the ones will have the blessings of uh, interceding or asking for forgiveness. Or bas- interceding basically if 70 of your family members were about to go to hellfire or like friends. Like it's a collective between family members, friends, loved ones that are about to go to hellfire, you can intercede on their behalf. If you are a martyr who died in a battlefield, just the martyr who dies in a battlefield will be allowed to intercede on 70 of his close ones. If they were about to go to hellfire, Allah will actually give him 70 to take out of hellfire and basically to put in in paradise. In Jannah, of course, they have to be Muslims and it will be based on, again, their level of faith and how close they were to the shaheed, to the martyr. So, yeah, just, just uh, you know, a, a bit of information. We're going to get to that, inshallah, when we get to the Day of Judgment. Now, there is actually an additional uh, 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 definition. So there's an eighth definition beside the one who dies for this. And actually, the scholars have said something very interesting about that. So there is an eighth, def- uh, an eighth definition of a martyr, which is someone who dies while protecting the borders of a Muslim country, of a Muslim government, of a Muslim nation. And the scholars didn't, like, they said basically that this could be, uh, you know, uh, added to the main one, which is dying in a battlefield, defending your country. So if you die in a battlefield, defending your country, you'll die. But some some scholars say, well, even if it's not a battle, you know, if somebody is, is protecting the borders and they get shot or they get killed or stabbed without being a battle, technically they are martyrs, which... Kind of makes sense again. You're defending your border. You're defending the country, but it has to be a Muslim country, of course. Uh, so that is the number one category of people that will skip the trial of the grave, which is the martyrs. Okay. The second type of people that will skip the trial of the grave is simply dying as a child. When you die as a child, and child basically before the age of puberty, uh, before the age of 11, 12, basically, if you die, if someone dies before the age of 11, 12, there's nothing that they've done. Because again, we as human beings, we get held accountable. We are held accountable, you know, for our deeds once we pass the age of puberty, which is between 11 and 13, basically. When we're adults, we get, you know, punished for what we do if we don't repent from it and all these things. However, before the age of 11, there is nothing, Allah is not holding, holding us accountable for anything. And it makes sense for those people to skip that there is no trial of the grave. They won't see the angels. They won't see anything. They just, they will be buried and nothing will happen to them. And they, in a good way, that's a good thing actually, because they won't be punished nor being terrified by the angels. They shall go inshallah to Jannah because they did nothing wrong uh, while they were adults. They died before adulthood. So that is uh, number two in terms of the category. So we have the martyrs, we have dying as a child. The last uh, category of people that was, and, and again, this is all plus or, you know, uh, beside the fact that prophets and messengers do not go through the trial of the grave, of course. Uh, so number three is those who are mentally insane. Those who are not sane, those who do not cannot tell the, the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, 
basically. What's good deeds? Even if you're an adult or you're old and you lived your life not mentally disabled, not knowing the difference between, because again, not a lot of, not every mentally disabled person will be exempt. If you're mentally disabled, but you can function, you know what's right and what's wrong. Do you understand? You know that if you do this, it's haram. And if you do this, it's halal. So it all depends on mentally insane. You cannot tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. So those three types of people will, uh, and again, this applies only on Muslims, of course. Uh, and and by the way, the mentally, the children, uh, th that doesn't apply on Muslims, uh, that applies on everyone. And the mentally insane, if you're born and you didn't have the choice because you mentally can't tell, uh, that Islam is the right religion or not because you're mentally insane. Allah won't hold uh, you know people who are mentally insane accountable even if they were not Muslims. If you were born like that and if you were all of your life being mentally insane, then wh whether you're Muslim or not, you will be able to you know skip the trial of the grave and inshallah you should go to paradise. Now, is there a difference? And this is a very uh, interesting uh, uh, uh question is there a difference between the trial and the punishment yes there is actually the trial of the grave will happen to everyone except for the categories that we mentioned however the punishment will happen to only those who will fail the trial okay so the questioning will happen to everyone except if you're a martyr or your child or mentally insane but the punishment will only happen to the evil people, you know, those who won't be able, the hypocrites, uh, all these people who won't be able to pass that trial. Now, uh, to make it clear, um, and, and we'll talk about the punishment in, in, in a second, but like to make it clear, both will happen to the wicked people. So you will go through the trial and the agony of the trial. It's, it's bad. It's not easy. It won't be a difficult, it will be a difficult, especially if you are wicked. And, and after that, it's not like it's over. You will be punished until the day of judgment or you'll be punished until you um, make up for your sins. So some people might not be punished for, you know, until the day of judgment. Maybe we'll be punished for a little bit. It's the same thing. Allah is fair. Even if you get punished in the grave, Allah is expiating from your sins if you're a Muslim, taking away from your sins. This is not just, oh, this is the ultimate punishment. No. Can you imagine? So Allah is also being merciful to those wicked Muslims who are punished in the grave after failing the trial because Allah is merciful. Allah is taking away from your sins. So when you are when the day of judgment comes, and by the way, even on the day of judgment, there is a punishment in the land of gathering before the actual judgment. So Allah is taking away from you a lot of sins. And then because when you meet him, you have the, the least sins possible that you could have had because of all these punishments. Now, the, the Prophet called the grave, like we said, the first station or the first stop of the hereafter, like we said. Now, uh, and, and I want to talk about this uh, briefly before we get into the actual punishment. Before the trial, once your body, uh, your soul gets back into your body, before the trial begins, earth will squeeze you. Your, your grave will literally squeeze you. And no one will be able to skip that squeezing. No one will be able to skip that squeezing. Can you imagine? Including the martyrs, the children, and the mentally insane. So, so we're clear. Not a single human being will be able to skip those the, that squeeze from the earth or from the, the, the grave. Now, 
it will be different. So the believer, it will be a gentle squeeze. It's as if your mother, and by the way, earth is our ultimate mother. We came from earth, our clay. Remember, we're mud, we're clay. We came from turab, from dust and water. Can you imagine? So it, it's like going to be like a motherly kind of squeeze if, if, if we are righteous. And again, it all depends on the level. So the squeeze will be really either really, you know, warm and, and, and gentle or it will be a little tough. It depends on how you lived your life again. But for the disbeliever, for the wicked Muslims, for those who are terrible human beings, oh, that squeeze will be very rough that it will crush your bones. And then once you get that really terrible experience as a bad person or that warm experience as a good person, then, you know, the trial will begin. And here's what something very interesting that the Prophet told us about the, sque the squeezing of the grave or the basically the grave squeezing us or earth is squeezing our bodies. So the Prophet said that no one will be able to skip that, that squeeze. And if anyone w were to skip it, it would have been Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. For those of you who do not remember who is Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh is the one that he died as a martyr and... Uh, uh, the, the throne of Allah shook for his death. Remember that Sa'd ibn Mu'ad from the last season? The one who basically uh, made the verdict on how to treat the last Jewish tribe, the Banu Quraida, the, the last Jewish tribe of, of Medina, when they betrayed the Muslims and they tried to kill the, the women and, and the children. That was that is Sa'd ibn Mu'ad, the one that they thought, oh, he's our buddy. He's going to you know vote for our, you know or give the verdict in our favor. And of course, that was not the case. That's the one. That is Sa'd ibn Mu'ad. And when he died, for those of you who didn't, uh, you know, who don't know, the throne of Allah shook out of happiness because it's a, the, basically it's about to meet, the, the throne is about to meet Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh's soul when it meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Out of happiness that the soul of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh is coming back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's an incredible story. So and he is the most righteous, one of the most righteous uh, companions ever and he has a special status you know on the side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course not no one comes near the Prophet just you know to make it clear but he had a very special status uh, and the Prophet say if anyone to be exempt from that squeezing it would have been Sa'd ibn Mu'ad but even he will be squeezed or he was squeezed by earth uh, so that basically you know the, 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 the puts uh, all this to rest all this like oh who could skip it no one could skip it the Prophet made it clear uh, and, you know, very interesting uh, story about that, actually. I want to tell you about this. So there was um, someone who uh, converted to Islam, went to the Prophet tried to learn from him, and then he didn't like Islam, and he decided to convert back to Christianity. I think he was Christian. And when he did, he left the Muslims, and he actually betrayed the Muslims because he basically took all the hadith and all the stuff, and he went to his tribes and basically said that, oh, this is all coming from me. You know, and he was claiming that he uh, was uh, an inspiration to the Prophet Sallam and, and, and basically started to make an up lies like the Prophet Sallam making up all these hadith and whatever. And he basically betrayed the Muslims in a bad way. And then uh, he eventually died. And when he died, uh, his tribe uh, tried to bury him. And they did. They buried him and they left. And then when they came back, they found his body outside of like his body was on the surface, like it was not uh, underground anymore. They found his body literally just laying down on the surface. So they're like, huh, what happened here? Okay, they dug the grave, put him back in, uh, put the dirt on him and left. The next day, his body's back up above the ground. So they're like, what, what's going on here? A third time, nope. And it turns out the Prophet basically explained to us 
earth was spitting him out because he was so dishonorable, so filthy, earth would not take him in. Imagine, earth took terrible people and they were buried in it. This one, because of what he did specifically, and he claimed things about the Prophet after he was a companion briefly, but that he rejected Islam, earth did not even accept him, so earth was spitting him out. Can you imagine? This is this is insane. This is insane, Wallahi. It's 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 crazy, and uh, you know it shows you that you know the squeeze is not a bad thing if you are a good human being. Now, uh, moving on. Uh, uh, so that happens before the trial. The trial takes place, and then whether you will be punished or you're gonna get the pleasures of the grave. So, let's call it. Pleasures of the grave versus uh, punishment of the grave, right? So the punishment of the grave, now that will vary. Like what I told you about the portal and, and smelling like hellfire, and that is not the punishment of the grave. No, no, this is just a taste of what you will see in hellfire and and, and facing off your, your bad deeds. That's, that was not the, 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 the punishment. The punishment is actually will be according to your deeds. Again, Allah is fair. So will we will talk about a, a little bit on you know regarding the the, the the punishment of the grave. So the punishment of the grave there's actually a couple of punishments. Let's talk about the believers, for example, like those who are terrible human beings, but they believed in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and His Messenger. Now this is good for them. Even the punishment is good for them because of what, like we said, Allah will expiate from their sins, will take away from their sins, and uh, so they can meet Allah on the day of judgment with a cleaner slate. The Prophet said this about the punishment of the grave. He said that the worst thing he he had ever seen from the hereafter, not the punishment in hellfire, the punishment in the grave. Now, the punishment of hellfire is, is eternal. So that is uh, like, <laughs> you can't even imagine it. But you're saying like when it comes to the physical, actual punishment, imagine this, you're being punished while you're in, a, in your grave and there is nothing you can do about it. And subhanAllah, it's 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 just it's it's incredible. Like the Prophet said, Look at this. The Prophet told us that if we he wanted to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us here able to hear the punishment of the grave. He hear basically people while they're being punished in the grave. But if that was the case, so again, the Prophet ﷺ wanted to make dua to Allah. Oh Allah, I want my nation, my the Muslims to be able to hear the punishment that's going on in the grave. So we can learn from it. So we can fear Allah in our actions. But then he said, if I did that, you guys would be scared to bury your dead because of what might happen to them. So I didn't do that. So Allah, the Prophet ﷺ did not make that dua because he was afraid that we won't be able to bury our dead from the, the, the terrifying things that we will hear. That shows you how significant and severe the punishment of the grave is to certain people. Now, let's start with the disbelievers. What will happen to their punishment? Of course, they will be punished. Uh, if they heard of Islam or anything like that and they just chose to, rege to, to reject it. Let's start with the, the top of the disbelievers, which is who? Uh, Fir'aun, the pharaoh who was against, you know, uh, Moses and, you know, who's torturing people for not worshiping him and so forth. And he called himself God, Ilah. Uh, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the chapter of Ghafir, verse number 46, 
He told us this. Now, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us exactly what will happen to Allah Fara'un, to, to Fara'un and his family from the oppressors. By the way, his wife was completely righteous. She, it's actually mentioned in the Quran. Uh, the, the wife of Fara'un asked Allah to build a house in Jannah and she believed completely in Allah and she rejected her husband and his you know ridiculous claims. But we're talking about the rest of his family members, the, the oppressors, the, the disbelievers. Look at this. They will be presented to hellfire twice a day. They will visit, visit, not see, visit hellfire twice a day. Like during the day and at night time. Every single day. So while they're buried right now, they are being presented to hellfire twice a day. Morning and nighttime until this will keep happening every single day until the day of judgment. And when the day of judgment comes, Allah will tell the angels, put him in hellfire for eternity. So there is no salvation because they're disbelievers. So they, them being punished in, 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 the, in the grave uh, won't take away from their sins. They're disbelievers, right? So that is, uh, you know, what happens to someone like uh, Pharaoh. Uh, now, the, the disbelievers, those who rejected Allah, again, there will be similar punishment, not the same as Pharaoh. Pharaoh is like the highest of, you know, the elite of the disbelievers. However, those who try to smear Islam, like Abu Jahl, you know, those people who are trying to ruin the image of Islam and and basically try to diminish the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, almost similar, it will be a similar punishment. Uh, not again as severe, but it will be similar. Now we have the hypocrites during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the hypocrites that we have hypocrites today who pretend that they're Muslims, but they're trying to basically ruin the image of Islam. They will have double punishment before the day of judgment. Imagine this: in this world, by being exposed in their graves, so they will say we're believers, we're we're Muslims, but Allah will expose them during the trial, and then after the trial, when they fail. They, because they think they can fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They can fool. Again, those who are hypocrites, they don't understand that. Who are you fooling? You can lie to people, but Allah is watching and knows what's your, your intention. So who are you lying to exactly? So they will be punished basically twice by exposing, Allah exposing them, and by revealing to them that you're, I don't know, like you're insignificant. You're nothing if you think you can fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by being punished like a disbeliever, they will be treated like a disbeliever in in the grave. And again, they will enter hellfire uh, because they were never Muslims. Again, they pretended to be Muslims, but they were never Muslims. Now let's talk about, so that is the first segment, which is the disbelievers. And again, the, it will vary depending on the level of disbelief and the oppressions that they cause and also all these things. Now let's talk about the believers. The believers will be, uh, uh, you know, punished in, in, in the grave. And we have a few types of punishments that will happen according to certain deeds. So for example, here's something that shocks a lot of people. Those who pee, the men who pee, for example, while standing, and that pee gets on their clothes, and then they go pray with it, or they go deal with people with it, and thinking that they, you know, after they wash and they make wudu, that they are pure, when they're in fact, they're not. They're impure because of all the residuals of the, you know, of the urine or the or the pee that got on their clothes. So that means every time they do this, their prayer is not accepted. You guys know this, right? You like if you pee while standing, for example, and you 
like a, a brother or whatever go and pees in, in, in a urinal. And then the splash of the, the urine, just a, a tiny residuals, get on their clothes. They're not, if he, they're not even feeling it. They're like, oh, nothing happened. They're just um, you know, aiming for the urinal and got it covered and nothing else happened. But then some of those residuals will get on your clothes. And then you'll go wash yourself, make wudu, and go pray. Guess what? Your prayer is not accepted because your clothes has impurity on it, which is your pee. Guess what? Those people are being punished. The Prophet ﷺ one time was walking, and this is authentic hadith, but the Prophet ﷺ was walking in a graveyard, passing by a graveyard with the companions. Then he heard two Muslims, two of the companions basically, being punished. He had It was only him who had that ability. Uh, that's why he wanted everybody else to hear, because he was really fearing for his nation from that punishment. So he wanted all of us to share that fear so we are uh, you know become better people however uh he heard two types of, of of muslims or two literally two muslims were being punished so he told he turned around and told the companions there are two men here who are being punished and they're not being punished for something major like some like a murder or you know disbelief or you know something like that or adultery or anything like that one of them one of them did not used to cover uh, cover up from peeing basically cover his clothes and his bodies from peeing and that sprinkled again on his clothes and imagine all of your life you go pee you go to pray and none of these prayers get accepted barely you know rare prayers get accepted when you don't pee before them or you change your clothes or whatever for that my dear brothers Specifically, my dear brothers, because our dear sisters already pee while sitting down. You should pee while sitting down. I know, alhamdulillah, many Muslims know that by now, but still, a few Muslims who don't know that. Do not pee standing. Pee while sitting. And if you pee while sitting, what happens? You protect your body from your pee. Because all the residuals, all the sprinkles of the pee go inside the toilet. You won't be affected by it. So think about it this way. You have to cover up. If they, if you have a better way to do it, go ahead and do it. I'm not saying this is strictly the only way. And if you can do it while standing, while completely, completely protecting your clothes and your body from those residuals of the pee, then go ahead. But how would you know if you're peeing while standing and it's, you know. So just to let you know, protect your body or your clothes from your pee if you want Allah to accept your salah. It's that simple. Do that effort so you don't get punished in the grave. Uh, so he said, yeah, so, um, you know, uh, one of these people is, is again, uh, was not covering from his pee, hence he's being punished now because none of his salah was accepted. He was too lazy to cover uh, his pee and to cover his clothing from his pee. So, yeah, that was that. Then he said the second one. So the first one is because of his pee. The second one was basically a tattletale. What is a tattletale for those of you uh, who, you know, guessed it? Is someone who goes and tells on someone. Now, not all tattletales will be punished in the grave. It depends. So let's say, for example, we have two, two Muslims here. Muslim A and Muslim B. Let's say that Muslim A said something bad about Muslim B. In your presence, you were there. Muslim B wasn't there. Then you went and told Muslim B what Muslim A said about them, and you caused the fitna. You caused an issue. You instigated a problem between two Muslims. You are a tattletale, Islamically speaking. 
I know tattletale can be on other things, but I'm talking about Islamically speaking, that's the definition. Now, this is different from backbiting, which we talked about before. Backbiting is to talk about a Muslim behind their back negatively uh, and something that would probably upset them. Then you are, again, backbiting has its own you know, sins and whatever. And we'll talk about that when we get to the Day of Judgment. I believe we mentioned it in the episode of the backbiting. But we're going to, inshallah, of course, repeat it when we get to that point on the Day of Judgment. So a tattletale is different from someone who is a backbiter. Tattletale is someone who basically, you know, you said something negative about someone else and he goes or she goes and tell that someone else what you said about them behind their back. You are a backbiter because you're not a good person because that is Muslim A, right? Muslim A is the one who said something. That's a backbiter right there. But the person who went and gave, you know, transferred uh, the news and went to Muslim B, that is a tattletale, and that one gets punished in, in the grave. Also, when it comes to the believers, if you're arrogant, oh, arrogance is a problem with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a problem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not tolerate arrogance. You know who is the biggest arrogant? Satan. Satan did not prostrate to Adam out of arrogance. Arrogance is an act that infuriates Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-kibriya, al-kibar. You have no right to be arrogant. So arrogant Muslims will also be punished in the grave. Uh, wailing over the dead. Oh boy. Now this is something, this is a practice that uh, happens in certain cultures, not all cultures, where the women start screaming and wailing. And wailing is not crying, by the way. There's a big difference between wailing and crying. Wailing is when you start screaming, uh, uh, overreacting, uh, saying Things like, what am I going to do without you? What am I going to do after you? Uh, why did Allah take you now? Why are you dead now? All these haram, because th these are like, you can't say these things. Because you're basically defying the qadr of Allah. You're literally asking, why did Allah do what he did? Why did Allah take your soul now? And uh, doing it while screaming, some women, they hit their faces, you know. And again, it happens in certain cultures. Unfortunately, it does happen in, in Muslim cultures a lot. Uh, but yeah, wailing, here's the interesting part. The person who is doing the wailing will be punished. The lady who's doing the wailing, and mostly it's ladies who do that, will be punished. But guess what? The person she's wailing over, let's say her husband, her father, her brother, whatever, is mentally punished. Now, it's not their fault. Well, it's, it depends if they taught their, their, you know, their wives not to do this and this is haram. It's kind of partially their fault. But however, mentally, not physically. Because they feel terrible because they hear what their women are doing and they're just ashamed of it. They're mentally uh, saddened and, and they're in pain. Again, all mentally. They're mentally punished because of what's happened. So they're literally making it worse. The ladies who are doing that, the women who are wailing over their dead ones, are making it worse for the dead ones. So just keep that in mind for those of you who know anybody who would do that in any culture. Uh, um, another big problem another thing that's that, that gets punished in the grave is of course we talked about this a few episodes ago which is uh usury those who deal in usury what happens to them remember we said that they swim in a river in a river of blood now how are you gonna well i'm in a grave I'm, how am i gonna swim no like i said you will be transported into the barzakh dimension it's another dimension where these things will happen to you you will be if you 
are someone who ate or took the, uh, the, the interest money from Muslims, you will be swimming in a river of blood. And every time you try to swim out of it, someone, and assuming an angel or someone, will throw a rock in your mouth. Imagine how painful that will be coming from someone like an angel, someone powerful. That rock, when it hits your mouth, it will throw you all the way back into, you know, the middle of the river. And you're going to be, this is going to be on loop. This is not going to, it's going to be a, a never ending process until the day of judgment. Same thing that's happening to Pharaoh when they will be visiting hellfire twice a day. You'll be, this will be happening to you again until Allah either decides that you've taken enough and that uh, made up for the amount of interest you took or if you took a lot of interest then until the day of judgment so this is all again depends on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the the, the the statistics of it or the you know the, the the semantics of it this is all up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala another uh, another punishment that happens or another type of muslims that will be punished is those who steal from the spoils of war uh, that doesn't apply on the average muslim but it some Muslims probably do and there's a battle there's war going on they steal from the spoils of war that is something that severely uh, you know will be punished for in the grave uh, here's something very uh, interesting that not a lot of people are aware of dying in the state of debt so if you have debt and you did not pay that debt uh, dying in, in the state of death your soul this is an authentic hadith by the Prophet. The believer who dies in debt, he did not pay his debt. His soul will be trapped, trapped between God knows this life and then the barzakh. It's not going to be a pleasant feeling, just to let you know. It's a type of punishment. Until someone pays that debt off like one of your family members that's why it's it's very important to settle all your debts before you die you have to settle all the debts before you die because otherwise this is a type of punishment that happens to those who don't pay off their debts or make sure that your family members your successors or whatever will be able to pay that for you to be released from that basically trapment or your soul will be released from that uh, you know uh, that dilemma or that uh, pickle, basically, that you'll be in uh, during your barrier, uh, during your time in the grave. So that is that. Like, so don't be be aware of owing people money and not paying it off before you die. Also, uh, by the way, this that thing applies on martyrs. So martyrs will be forgiven for almost all of their sins except for debt. Can you imagine? يغفر, this is another hadith. This is not me saying. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, يُغْفَرُ لِلشَّهِيدِ كُلُّ ذَنْبٍ إِلَّا الدَّيْنِ A martyr will be forgiven. Everything will be forgiven. Like everything, every sin. Every, كُلُّ ذَنْبٍ All your sins, if you die as a martyr, will be forgiven. Except for death. Your soul will still be trapped. Can you imagine? Delaying prayers. That's another category. Praying late. Praying after time. Praying after time. Um, and basically ignoring the teachings of Quran. So this is in one category. When you pray after time, that means you're really not following the teachings of Quran. Let's just be plain. Uh, you know, فَوَيْلٌ الْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ Allah saying in the Quran, there is a severe punishment to those who pray, but not pray on time. Like pray after time. Look at their punishment. And this is wallahi... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very, uh, very troubling. 
But again, Allah warned us. An angel will beat you with a rock on the head until your head is completely smashed. Then, look at this. When your head is completely smashed, imagine that pain. When, and you're going to feel every bit of it. But the thing is, you can't die. You can't die. Once your head is completely smashed, it will be reconstructed again, and the angel will keep beating it again and again until the day of judgment. Or until you pay off whatever the amount of sins that you you know have committed regarding that uh, specific, like uh, praying late and not living by the Quran. And we said, uh, backbiting is, is one thing. The tattletaling is, is like we said, and slandering as well. Slandering actually is the worst type of all three. Slandering is you say something about a Muslim that's not true and you try to spread it to a stranger. Yeah, that's that's severe. That is more severe than these other two punishments. Uh, of course, adultery, all the major sins are punishable in the grave. All the major sins, being bad to your parents and being a, a not good child, all these things will be punished in, in the grave. Now, how do we protect ourselves from the punishment of the grave? Well, it's very simple. Number one, be a good Muslim. Wallahi, it's, it's that simple. Be a better Muslim. Don't do any of the things that we just mentioned now. Don't do it. Be careful. Be aware that there is a punishment waiting for you, not just on the day of judgment, not just in hellfire, but in the grave. So to prevent it, be a better Muslim. Try your best. No one is expecting you to be perfect. Allah is not expecting us to be perfect. But Allah is expecting us to do our best and try. Uh, you know, pay zakah, pay sadaqah, pay all these things. By the way, charity matters. For those of you who did not listen to the two episodes of charity, it matters. It helps you avoid certain things, certain punishments from the grave if you pay your charity for the poor people. You know? Uh, like there is a beautiful hadith by the Prophet that he said this: those who pray on time, those who fast the right way, those who pay their zakat and pay extra for the sadaqah. When the believer is dead, and then you're supposed to be punished because you did something terrible, right? The prayers will manifest into a being, and literally will tell the punishment. So imagine the punishment is coming to you. Think of it as a being. Again, Allah will transform a lot of inanimate objects into beings and will come to punish you while you're in the grave and then prayer will stand guard. Uh, and basically prayer, I think the hadith said by your head. So by your head, your prayer is guarding your head. Then the punishment, okay, will go towards your feet. And then by your feet, will be being good to people. So mannerisms matter, being good to Muslims. It will be standing by your feet. And then it will say, nope, do not approach him. Then it will go, punishment will come to your right side. Guess what's waiting in your right side? Guarding you. You're fasting when you do a lot of fasting. Then punishment will try to go to your left side and it will be your zakah and sadaqah, your charity. No, no, no. You cannot approach him and you will be fully protected. So these four acts, my dear brothers and sisters, should protect you from punishment of the grave, which is praying on time, fasting, paying your at least your zakah, and being good 
to other Muslims, being good to people in general, but especially to Muslims, of course, they will literally manifest into guards. Wallahi, this is out of this world. Wallahi, subhanAllah. This is all a hadith by the Prophet Guards. They will guard you from all four sides. Head, prayers. Feet, being good to people. Right side, fasting. Left side, zakah and charity in general. So again, do these things. Also, uh, another thing that protects you from the, the punishment of the grave is the chapter of Al-Mulk. So there's a chapter in the Quran called Al-Mulk. The Prophet literally said that this chapter is basically made out of 30 verses and it will ask Allah to forgive you. Imagine this. It will keep asking Allah. Now this applies on the Day of Judgment as well. It will ask Allah to forgive you. Then comes Ibn Mas'ud. And and here's the interesting part. You know, For those of you who don't know, Ibn Mas'ud is the ultimate reciter of the Quran. The Prophet said, if you want to hear the Quran as if it was revealed... With the same melody, the same you know wording, hear it from Ibn Mas'ud. So that is Ibn Mas'ud. So Ibn Mas'ud something, said something very important. He said, This is the first verse of the chapter of Mulk, by the way. Every single night, Allah, Allah will prevent with it the uh, punishment of the grave. If you recite this chapter every night, Read it even from the book or, you know, listen to it and repeat after it. The Prophet ﷺ said, used to call this chapter, Al-Mani'ah, the preventer. Now, preventer from what? The punishment of the grave. Can you imagine? It's a very beautiful chapter, by the way. Alhamdulillah, I have it memorized. For those of you who, it's only 30 verses. They're not, they're short verses, by the way. They're not like long verses. Uh, recited, it's beautiful. It's it's very, uh, it's it's amazing, and if you're able to recite it every night, inshallah, even in during prayers, you don't have to sit down and recite it. If you can recite it uh, during prayers, that would be also great. But yeah, the Ibn Mas'ud tells us that based on what the Prophet used to call it, basically al maniah the preventer of uh, the punishment of the grave. So that is basically, you know, uh, in, in a nutshell, some of the punishments that happen, uh, that, you know, that happen in, in the grave. Also, um, to protect ourselves from the punishment of the grave, the, the greatest thing after becoming a better Muslim is to make dua for Allah. You don't have to memorize all these things. It'll be great if you do, but you could just make pure, sincere dua to Allah. Oh Allah, protect me from the punishment of the grave. As a matter of fact, it's a sunnah that... Uh, right before you say the taslim, so when you say the tashahud while you're, you know, sitting down, the final act of praying, and you say, uh, you know, salatu uh, When you say the tashahud before you say assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, wassalamu alaikum warahmatullah, there is actually four duas that you should make, very short ones. You say what? Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adab al-qabr wa adab jahannam wa fitnat al-mahi wa al-mamat wa fitnat al-masih al-dajjal. Uh, it's it's actually a very beautiful sunnah that the Prophet used to always do. You're ma- and then you can say, Salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, Salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Say this, O oh Allah, protect me from the punishment of the grave. Allahumma qini adab al-qabr wa adab jahannam And protect me from the punishment of hellfire. Wa fitnat al-mahi wa al-mamat. And the trials of being alive and the trials of being dead. Basically the trials of the grave as well. وَفِتْنَةْ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ And the trial of the Dajjal, which is the Antichrist, which is, by the way, there's nothing wrong with saying the Antichrist for people to understand who you're talking about. 
you're basically making these four du'as. You're saying, oh Allah, protect me from the punishment of the grave, the punishment of hellfire, the trial of being alive, all the temptations and the tests from being alive and being dead, and from the trial of the Messiah uh, al-Dajjal or the, the Antichrist. And this is something that the Prophet used to actually say. Every, you can say it in English. Du'a, you can say it in any language. Uh, so you can say it before you say Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah at every prayer. Uh, so yeah, that is another thing that you know uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala could uh, you know uh, help you with when you make that du'a. Now uh, we talked about the punishment. Now let's talk about you know the pleasures of the grave. Like like we said, the pleasures of the grave are the things like your grave will be very wide, like a very big room, right? A big studio, whatever. And, uh, you know, you will have light in, in the grave. Grave by nature will be dark. Again, it's you're buried underground, even if it's in a different like dimension or, you know, realm or whatever you want to call it. You still, it will be dark. But for the righteous and the believers, there will be light coming into the grave so you don't have this loneliness or fearness and you'll be able to see you know jannah and your place and the, the, the stuff and now there are a lot of pleasures that we don't know about that were not mentioned that the purpose here is to avoid the punishment you understand so if you're able to avoid the punishment of the grave this is a victory in itself but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also promises you know pleasures in the grave while we're waiting for you know the day of judgment to take place so in a nutshell that is it People will be trialed. People will, uh, you know, certain people will pass the trial. They're going to have beautiful, uh, enjoyable time, peaceful time until the day of judgment comes. They would want the day of judgment to come fast because they want to, you know, enjoy Jannah. But unfortunately, some people, many people actually will fail the test, fail the trial, and then they will be punished in the grave based on their you know, deeds and, and, and the sins that they committed. So, and then they will ask Allah to delay because they, they're even more scared of hellfire than they are more scared of their punishment. Now, making dua for the deceased during the burial. So the person who died, when you make dua, when you go to pray janazah, you should make dua. The Prophet ﷺ literally said, Astaghfiru, like they were burying someone. And then he said, Astaghfiru li wa salu lahu yus'al. He said, while they were praying janazah uh, on, on someone who died, they said, make dua for your brother. Ask Allah to forgive him and ask Allah to keep him steadfast. Remember we said steadfastness, uh, Allah keep us firm during the trial. So now the Prophet I'm saying, ask for Allah, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep him steadfast because he is currently being asked. Can you imagine? فَإِنَّهُ الْآنَ يُسْأَلْ Another thing the Prophet said, which is fascinating, he said what? He said, when you ask, when there's a uh, hundred people or more attend a janazah prayer uh, for a Muslim, and you all ask, those people ask Allah to forgive the, the, the deceased, Allah shall answer. And that's why we should, it's a sunnah, to gather as much people as possible to attend the janazah prayer, to attend the burial. Do you understand? Get as much people, like a hundred and more, the Prophet said. Now, even if you don't know the person personally and you know he's one of the community, go and pray janazah and make dua for them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, when you make dua for them for forgiveness, guess what happens? The angels do the same. They make dua for you. وَلَكَ مِثْلُ And you shall have the same. They, the angels literally reply the dua back to you. That's why do not make 
an evil dua against a Muslim brother or a Muslim sister because the angels will also say, Walaka or Walaki Mithlu. You shall have the same if it was evil as well. Uh, and to tell you something very interesting, for those of you who do not know, Amr ibn al As. Amr ibn al As is one of the righteous companions. He's the one who actually uh, 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 conquered Egypt. He's the one who basically ruled Egypt and brought Islam to Egypt. Remember the one who the, the companion who described the pangs of death. That was you know when he said there are it's like needles uh, in your throat and whatever. That is Amr ibn al As. So Amr ibn al As was was about to die, and he tells his people this: Wait a little bit after you bury me. Just don't don't leave me uh, as soon as you bury me, because when that my time comes and I'm being asked, I want to feel your company, because I will be scared to face the angels Munkar and Nakir alone. I need to feel your company. Guys, this is a companion who is saying that, that he's going to be scared of meeting the, the two angels, of being asked, of being trialed, and he wants some human company from his family and loved ones. This is a companion who's saying that. What about us? Seriously, Wallahi, it, it boggles my mind. What about us? If a companion is worried about being trialed, what about us? Just think about it, you know, and try your best. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh, there is no hope for us. This is, no, this is a ridiculous notion. But what I'm trying to tell you is fear Allah enough to be a righteous person so you don't have to fear him in the hereafter once you die. Because Allah said what? I'll make my slave fear me once and be secured from me once. If you fear me in this life, Allah's saying, by being a good person, like nothing bad or nothing terrifying about it, that's what it means by fearing Allah, be conscious of Allah. Allah won't make you fear him when you die or in the hereafter in general. But if you don't, because Allah said, you have to fear me once, either in this life or in the hereafter. You really don't want to fear Allah in the hereafter because that's a bad sign for you. And if you think you're secured from me in this life, you won't be secured from Allah in the hereafter. So again, having security will be only once. It's the opposite of fearing. Because if you're not fearing Allah, you think you're secured from Him. And if you're fearing Allah, you know that you're not secured from Him. So if you, if you're not, if you don't believe that you're secured from Allah in this life, that means you fear Him. That's a good thing because you will be secured from Allah in the hereafter and you won't fear Him in the hereafter. But if it's the opposite, again, think of it as it's an opposite thing. Fearing Allah means that you're not secured from Him. That's when you what you believe in. I'm not secured from Allah in this life, so I'm going to fear Him. But if you are not fearing Allah, that means you believe that you're secured from the punishment of Allah. Nothing can harm you, right? So think about it. This You're either going to have this in this life or going to have it in the hereafter. You choose what to have, you know, when. So you choose to be fearing Allah in this life? Trust me, it's a lot better than fearing Allah in the hereafter. And if you choose to not fear Allah in this life, then unfortunately you're going to have to fear Him in the hereafter. That's Allah's promise to us. Now, uh, the last thing I'm going to talk about, inshallah, to conclude this, uh, which is uh, how can we benefit the dead? How can we benefit the dead? Uh, like our loved ones, right? Can we do anything after they die? Because they can't, unless they, you know, have a, an ongoing charity, sadaqatun jariya, 
or if they taught people uh, beneficial knowledge regarding Islam or even any beneficial knowledge that benefits Muslims and if they have children who can make dua for them after they are dead. So these are the three things that benefits uh, the, the deceased themselves if they invest in it, right? If you invest in an ongoing charity, like a constant charity, like a water well or something, then this will benefit you even after you die. If you teach people Islam, like alhamdulillah, I'm trying to do here and you can do with anybody that you know, and they benefit from this, inshallah, this should be whatever they use in their daily lives according to your teachings, that should benefit you after you're dead. And if you have righteous children, and that is key here because they have to be righteous and you have to teach them how to become righteous, that they will make dua for you after you're long gone. Uh, so that is, these are the three things, right? You can also add to this making dua for the deceased, making istighfar for the deceased. This actually could, uh, you know, uh, help them. You can make Allah like your parents, for example, your siblings, or even family members or friends or whatever. If you if you ask Allah to forgive them, they have to be Muslims. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala shall uh, you know forgive them, uh, and you know it's it's Subhanallah. And again, like I said, the, the, the janazah prayer when you're about to bury the deceased is the best example that everyone should make du'a and istighfar for them, even if you don't if you did not know them personally. Now. Let's assume that someone who died and he or she had due fasting, like there are fasting days from Ramadan that they didn't complete and you know about it. Now, your wali, your caretaker, your husband, your father, whatever, your mother, whoever is alive or is the closest to you uh, should fast on, your, on their behalf until, you know, they finish the, the days, that, the incomplete days, you know, of fasting. And that won't go towards the rewards of the person doing it. It will go if if you do it for the intention of for the deceased, then it shall go, and you know, uh, and and complete basically the due days for the deceased who did not fast. Also, if someone passed away without doing Hajj, and you can perform Hajj on their behalf, and it, you won't be rewarded for it that you're doing it solely for them, and they will get the reward of doing Hajj. And you also can give charity on the behalf of the deceased. So anything that you do it on behalf of a deceased uh, family member or loved ones or spouse or whatever, it will go straight to them. You won't get any benefit from it. However, you are helping them, uh, inshallah, to complete their good deeds or to you know increase their good deeds while they are dead. Um, uh, and and that's basically it. That's that's how it goes. There, there's nothing else. Uh, happens after that except for you know they will be resurrected for the day of judgment now we're not going to talk about the day of judgment until we address this describing the minor uh, signs of the day of judgment and and we're going to address all the you know the things regarding the day of judgment and inshallah yeah we shall end it at then and then we will continue inshallah in in the next season in next year inshallah thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh